Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Toronto Blue Jays getting swept three games to nothing, and they were actually outscored 26-3. to in the series. So it was bombs away in Toronto. Red Sox also can't finish better than last place. And it will be another sub 500 season. Two out of three in the high bloom era. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, very fitting end to, uh, at least for the weekend crew, end to the Red Sox season. I know they got three games left, but yeah, way to play with some pride, guys. Let's let's go to Toronto and get outscored 25-3 to and just get your doors blown off um just you know it's it's just another one of those series that makes you go thank god there's only three regular season games left and we can get to some playoff baseball and watch teams that were actually built properly and uh will be in the playoffs so good for them we're on the couch again for the what is it the third time in four years we will be on the couch so I'm i think s- they said the other day, it's their sixth last place finish or fifth last place fifth. finish in the last 11 years. It's true. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. There was also an impressive stat by Tampa, but I uh, that escapes me right now. But also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, It's not been such a pretty time um i've been relatively quiet on twitter and i usually chirp people um and when i think of doors getting blown off this is pretty much it this or that day i got pulled over on christmas eve when i allegedly blew the doors off a squad car um back-to-back shutouts going the wrong direction i mean you want to talk about playing with absolutely no gumption this is i mean we're past pathetic we're past sad it's just, you know, if people want to try to find some solace in it, at least we didn't allow 28 runs again and make history again. But it's been it's been tough. But for those that are interested in chirping me and keeping, uh, you know, the conversation uh, and forum alive, Smith underscore MLB is where you can find me on Twitter. Just doing some math. And uh, Jason, where can they find you since I'm terrible at it? Yeah, you can find me at Color of the Iris on Twitter. Color of the Iris. And uh, I guess we'll just announce it right now for the first time on the podcast. Um, I always joke how I'm terrible at remembering to uh, mention the Twitter handles. But 
Uh, starting on opening day, I will no longer be the primary host of this podcast. I will be on uh, just about uh, every show, regardless, since I have to record it anyway. But uh, Mark Rollins could, you know, fill in for me at times. But uh, Charlie will definitely be the uh, co-host on the early week rotation. And it's either going to be Jason or Cody, our new host, on the midweek. We'll probably finalize that as we get closer to spring training. So smaller role for me, but uh, I, I think it's it's better for everyone. My nasally monotone voice... Uh, Probably shouldn't be the primary one at this point. But anyway, so I was going through the standings right now. So it's not like us tanking is really going to do us a whole lot of good. I mean, we're still almost middle of the pack as far as the draft order. Uh, The Rockies, Pirates, Reds will definitely draft before us, as will the Marlins and the Nationals on the uh, National League side, and then you're going to have Oakland, Texas, Kansas City, Detroit, all definitely drafting before us. So that puts us, what, eighth or so. But you also have uh, a few teams right around us. The Cubs with 73 wins. You've got the Angels with 73 wins. And uh, Minnesota right now is 77. The Red Sox are at 75. So it's not like us tanking is really going to, um, you know, improve our draft position with these last couple series. We're, we're not going to get a top 10 pick almost certainly. So um, we're just simply playing pathetic, like Jason said. So Anywho, uh, so normally we would do the weekend uh, top five or the weekend shit list, uh, but we are going to do something a little bit different. We are going to do the Red Sox post-mortem, and we're going to do it in a top five format. So we're going to talk about the top five reasons we sucked this year, basically. Uh, And then... As far as the rest of the rotation goes for uh, October, we are going to pick the wild card rounds on Thursday night. So that's what Thursday's show will be. So we'll pick the two wild cards in the National League, two wild cards in the American League, and then we'll do a show round by round. So uh, I think three days later uh, will be the ALDS, NLDS. Uh, So that'll be another show to pick those rounds and recap uh, as well the wild card. And that's basically what you can expect from us um, in the month of October. If there's any firings from the Red Sox, uh, namely Dave Bush, maybe. I'm not saying that's a given, but uh, any major developments will certainly uh, come back on to cover those. Maybe they'll sneak in a Devers extension long shot but if they do we would certainly cover that so uh okay so getting into the top five post-mortem for the 2022 season uh i think it's jason in the fifth spot so who's number five yeah number five on the season-long shit list will be alex cora um, and there's a reason why he's number five. Obviously, Alex Cora is not 
the reason why this team submarined and finished in last place. But he does deserve a fair share of the blame. Um, I don't think this was Alex Cora's best managerial job. Um, I think that early on in the season when the team was scuffling and he was, you know, juggling the lineup and, you know, there were games in, even in June, uh, you know, middle of June, July, you were still kind of in it. You had a shot to, you know, at least kind of try to turn things around and get back into it. And he'd give, you know, Xander Bogarts two days off in a row or something like that. And his excuse was always, well, you know, I, I always do this and we, you know, I like to manage for the marathon and not the sprint, but there were critical games that, you know, they maybe didn't have enough offense and, you know, they could have used guys like that in the lineup. Um, I think also his management of the bullpen definitely should be called into question. There were guys that he would bring into crucial spots that had us kind of sitting here going, why are you bringing that guy in? And then sure enough, you know, it would be like Hansel Robles when he was still here coming into a close game and immediately would just, you know, load up the bases and, you know, then he'd bring in some other bum from the bullpen and he'd just give it all up. So, um, and, and again, this is why Alex Cora is last on the list because, you know, the, the classic line of uh, the GM has to do the grocery shopping and Alex Cora has got to make the best dinner he can out of whatever he bought. Him. You know, the GM did crappy grocery shopping, which we'll get to later. So Alex Cora obviously wasn't working with, you know, a whole ton of great players in that bullpen and even in the lineup at times. But for a guy who's as highly revered as he is in this town, I think he's kind of skating a little bit. Like I, I don't hear many people in the Boston media or fans in general really getting on Cora. And I think they should. I think if you watched, you know, almost every game this year, like we all have, there were definitely times where questionable decision-making, especially late in games, when it comes to either the bullpen or just, I don't know, his approach to, to late game situations. Um, I just wasn't overly impressed. So again, I, I hope that with a better roster next year, we'll see a better version of Alex Cora. Obviously I don't think he's going anywhere. So, you know, let's, let's just throw that out there right away. I don't expect him to be fired or anything like that. I think Alex Cora quite frankly has the Red Sox job for as long as he wants it. So I fully expect, you know, he'll be back next year. The team will hopefully reload and we'll see a better version of the manager, but I was not overly impressed this year. Charlie. Yeah. I mean, I really like that, uh, that example you used about the difference between Alex Cora and, and high and Bloom's roles in this. Uh, you have one person buying the groceries and another person making the food with what you had with the groceries. And, it wasn't until June, like late June, beginning of July, when all those groceries were expired and you're now getting everybody sick. From June 27th until the end of the first half, which was July 17th, you're looking at like a three-week span. The Red Sox went 6-14, and 14, and it only got worse from there. They got out to a 2-7 and seven start before just floundering and faltering completely out of control. This was a team that was several games above 500 and literally a week into the second, a week into the, the second half and you're a 500 team, your third game, you lost three in a row and you are now a 500 team. It's, it's disappointing, but there have been so many moments this year, not just with hitting, not just with, 
starters. It's been everything, but there can only be so much blame that you can pass on the gen- or on the manager. They're not in charge of getting players to join this team. They're not in charge of signing people to long-term deals. They can only do what they can with what they've got. And I, like Jason, am not in any way, shape, or form saying that Alex Core needs to go. Because right now, it'd be unfair to, to boot him, just as it was unfair to boot the, the manager who filled in for us last year. So I probably would have been the least saddest if Alex Cora got fired. Um, that's not going to happen. Sam Kennedy's already said as much. And I, I'm not also saying it necessarily should have, but I've always been at odds with Alex Cora uh, in terms of his leadership. I quite frankly think he's soft. I think he's a very soft leader. I think we need a guy who's going to be a little bit tougher at times. I think he kind of babies a lot of these guys and I just, it gets old after a while. And I think Alex Cora's ass is on the line in 2023. So I'm curious to see if that does change his management style. If we go out of the gates and we exceed expectations next year, Perhaps maybe we're going to see the same Alex Cora, but if we're grinding along around 500, then it'll be interesting to see if uh, if anything changes. I'm at the point now where I don't know if Alex Cora is even a top five manager anymore. I mean, you look at some of the teams that are just perennially good, uh, the, the Braves with Brian Snitker, um, I, I think you, I would definitely put Showalter above him. I know he's only been back for one year, but Showalter, unlike Cora, got a lot out of very little in the time he was managing the Baltimore Orioles. Showalter never had a rotation. Alex Cora, well, I don't know if Alex Cora has had a rotation the last couple of years either, but. I don't know. I just feel like Showalter got more out of his. And that 108-win season, I just feel like, I'm like, man, he can't can't manage every season like it's 2018. We're not as stacked as we were in, in 2018. We don't have Mookie Betts out there. I mean, how many Hall of Famers were on that team? I mean, you got Mookie. JD is going to make a borderline case for it. I, I think he comes up short. If you if you get our bench guy on here, Mark Rollins, he'll he'll map out a case to where it could happen. Um, Rafi Devers probably a future Hall of Famer. I don't know if Chris Sale gets in the Hall of Fame, but he was pitching at a Hall of Fame level that year, and. I just, you don't see Alex Cora cleverly outmanaging anyone, really. I mean, he doesn't even outmanage Aaron Boone, for crying out loud. (laughs) I mean, that might be a legitimate question. Is Aaron Boone a better manager than Alex Cora? I think right now he might be, at least for (laughs) this last stretch. Yeah, he might be, because that Yankees team started off real hot. 
they went through adversity in August and they've come out the other side just fine. And they look still pretty strong going into the playoffs. So I do give Boone credit for that. And like you said, is Alex Cora a top five manager? Probably not. I mean, if you rattle them off, you know, it's like Francona, Showalter, Boone, Dave Roberts, you know, uh, there's probably a few more snicker. Um, you know, you put those guys ahead of him. So is he top 10 still? Probably. Yeah. But not top five. No. Yeah. One, one more thing to add to um, the more and more you think about it. I mean, am, would I be sad if Alex Cora left? No. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I was one of the people that didn't want him to come back in the first place. I think Terry was in that boat as well. I didn't want him just because of the whole Houston thing. Um, but the way that, the way that that unfolded, I'm I'm just kind of I'm I'm just kind of thinking back on it about the difference between Boone and Cora. There have been moments where Alex Cora has just looked just calm, like oh that just didn't go our way. Oh well, I don't think Boone would do that. So if you're a ball player, who would you want as your manager? Who would you want standing behind you? Would you want Boone or would you want Cora? I think Boone fights for his team more. I think Boone wants to win more. If Boone was in Boston as our our manager, I think he'd be getting ejected a lot more frequently. I really do. So if you ask yourself, who would you rather have as a manager? <laughs> I, I don't just, think that's a hard question. Here's the other thing, though. Outside of Garrett Cole... Has Boone really had a stellar rotation? I don't think so. So he's he's still making his rotations work. And he's had a bit better of a bullpen. That always seems to be a, a cashman priority every winter is to get guys in there. And they seem to identify guys in trades, uh, you know, to whether it's at the deadline or, or in the off season and that clay, is it clay Holmes? I think, I mean, he's homegrown and, and yeah. So, but it's a legitimate question. I mean, I myself would have laughed a couple of years ago at the suggestion that maybe, maybe Boone is better. I would have laughed at that. Now I'm like, well, I, it's a, it's at minimum a fair question. It's valid. Yeah, it's it's absolutely valid. Clay Holmes, actually, unfortunately, he's done. He's done for at the very least the regular season. He uh, he hurt himself. I don't I don't remember what it was that he did, but he's he's out. And uh, I don't think they're going to shut him down for the rest of the year. But they did mention that Holmes will be done um, until maybe playoffs. He's he's not going to be playing. Um, I'll have to do a quick little search for him. Oh, it's a shoulder uh, he, sprain, and th- sh- yep. I think that's the second time he's had that issue. But, but yep. yeah, and they just got Zach Britton back, but he's been he's been getting slapped around a little bit, from what I can tell. Yep. Yeah, and oh, is he injured again? I'm seeing a headline right now. I could be wrong. Admittedly, outside of the the home run race, uh, or or judges' pursuit of it, I should say. Um, in the last week or so, I've kind of been a little bit tuned out uh, as far as they are because they're going to cruise to the division win. Uh, Zach Britton was placed back on the IL with shoulder fatigue. He just got back, and now he's back on again. Yeah, he they probably ramped him up too fast by the sounds of it. 
Yeah, they blew it. Yeah, okay. Um, he, and he was getting slapped around, like I said, so whether he's hurt or not, I mean, he, 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 he was never at any point really pitching effectively uh, in this right. brief return. So, right. Uh, okay, so Cora, I, I just, to wrap him up, I want to see, I want to see tougher leadership next year if he's going to be the manager beyond uh, 2023. And I just, I obviously like him better than Farrell and Valentine. I, I don't think there's necessarily an incompetency, uh, you know, on his part. But Francona is, man. And those Guardians, Atlanta. 2021 vibes getting really hot late they have one of the best ball players in 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 the sport i think jose ramirez is an absolute stud and he almost single-handedly reset the market for what players should be paid because when he took his contract in cleveland he could have gotten double that more than that he does all the things you want from an elite third baseman I think Jose Jose Ramirez is the best third baseman in baseball. I think he's better than Manny Machado, and I think he's got a slight edge over Devers because he can run and he can field. He actually steals bases. And Jose Ramirez, when you look at him, he's not screaming, you know, he's not giving me like Juan Uribe vibes who looks just kind of goofy and, you know, you know, just gets all jacked up and whatnot. But Jose Ramirez is the complete package. He is a five-tool player, like absolute stud. Uh, you're right. Cleveland is starting to, you know, ring the bell of, you know, back when they were then the Indians, when it was the Indians versus the Cubs, you're, you're feeling that 2016 vibe. I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. I think Cleveland could be a force in the near future. If they add a couple of pieces around that team, oh my God, they're going to be better than Chicago because Chicago's falling apart in that division. They have never historically hit in the month of October. So that, that needs to, Change and they're the youngest team in MLB, by the way, as well. Well, uh, Terry, uh, in in the 90s, the Indians and the Red Sox, the then Indians, excuse me, uh, the then Indians, now Guardians, and the Red Sox, that was it. That was like our Achilles heel. We could never get past the damn Indians. It was always David Justice, Travis Fryman, Jim Tomey, Omar Vizquel, Albert uh, Bell. Albert Bell was there. Um, I don't remember him being that much of a, a big thing then. In the 90s, late 90s, I think he was with, I don't remember if it was Baltimore. I think it was Chicago. Um, I think it was the White Sox. But Cleveland had a very good a very good um, lineup. They had a, you know, a, an above average rotation. Charles Nagy was, was there. Uh, CeCe Sabathia was young and in shape when he was in, uh, a then Cleveland Indian. And you look back at the the team that we had, that was back when Nomar was there, John Valentin was there, um, Pedro was still there, Tim Wakefield has been there for like 15 plus years. We didn't really have a closer at the time. We'd flash Gordon for a little bit, um, but we didn't have a complete team. We had nice pieces, but we didn't have anything crazy. Like Mo Vaughn was there back in the day. And I, I will always love Mo Vaughn. And we just could not beat the then Cleveland Indians. They are starting to give me that nostalgia back. It's been 24, 25 years since the Guardians have been an absolute, you know, force against us. And then it would usually be Indians would beat the Red Sox, then the Indians would face the Yankees, and then there would be that 
that series. And then it was the Yankees versus the Mets, the Yankees versus the Padres, the Yankees versus the, the Arizona Diamondbacks. And that's what it was. It was always someone against the Yankees. I also have to throw it in there with the Guardians name choice. Big whiff. Major whiff. The, uh, the Spiders was the most popular, but thinking ahead and understanding marketing, the Rockers was the way to go. The Agreed. Cleveland Rockers that just has this cool factor. You could have like Brett Michaels night in the middle of June. Everybody wears blonde wigs and just rocks it out. You could have Nirvana night in July. Like there's just so many things you could do with the Rockers uh, and uh, and blew it. And the reason why they would be tied to the Rockers is because Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is uh, right absolutely there. yeah. Well, now you know what I'm thinking. Since they're the Guardians, maybe they can have you know like a, a blessing of the animals before a game or something. You know, <laughs> just something fun like that. You know, Guardian Angels and stuff. I don't know. It's not going to work. You know, cleaning up horse poop on the field is not going to be a fun task. I don't know. I don't think that's going to end up working out. You got anything on any of that, Jason? It was a it was a big freestyle. No, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see what the Guardians do um, getting into the playoffs. Now that that team could definitely make some noise. As far as the name change, I wanted the Rockers too. That that was my choice. I, I thought that just would have been so cool. And um, I actually wasn't that big on them choosing the Spiders if it came down to that. I understand why, because of historical reasons why it would have worked. But I I really wanted Rockers, and I think Guardians just. I don't know. Doesn't roll off the tongue the same way, and the logo stinks. the The logo, like with the with the baseball between the two G's or whatever, it, it just looks stupid. Yeah, and if anyone's wondering why it was the Guardians, is because on one of their their big bridges, I, I don't know what it's called or even what river it goes over, but it's a major bridge in Cleveland, and there's these statues that line the bridges, and th- those are the Guardians, so. right? That's uh, uh, all it took. Yeah, I remember watching that intro video when they were flying over Cleveland with drones and flying over the field. And I'm pretty sure it was Tom Hanks. I think it was his voice, um, if I'm not mistaken. And then when I just saw Guardians, I was like, Guardians? Guardians? That, that's the best we got? It reminded me of that scene from Spider-Man where he goes, hey, what's your name, kid? And he goes, the, the, Spider-Man. Spider-Man? That that's the best you got. That name sucks. And then he just makes up another name when he, when he introduces him into the ring, uh, when he meets, uh, Randy Savage. Um, that's kind of how I felt. I felt so unimpressed. Like if I'm Jose Ramirez, I would have been like, I wish that someone thought of something better, you know, and, and no disrespect to that team. Cause they did great, but there was a huge opportunity to come up with something classic and guardians. Just, it felt too gentle. Like, oh, the Guardians are coming to town. It, w- it almost felt like we can't come up with something that could potentially be seen as aggressive or something else because we have to make up for the fact that we had a name that may have offended folks. And that's kind of that's why I feel like they went Guardians as opposed to Rockers. They just wanted to take the, the, the diplomatic approach. I thought the Redskins did good with uh, the Commanders, with that being the new name. There's just a badass you know, type of vibe to that, but... Yeah, all right. That was a big freestyle on the Alex Cora uh, uh, segment there. But uh, let's go ahead and get into number four on the post-mortem top five. What is number four, Charlie? Number four for this year on the top five was our right fielding issues. Everyone has to remember, 
we had Hunter Renfro playing right field last year for the Boston Red Sox. And this was after hitting 156 with eight home runs and 22 RBIs in Tampa Bay in 42 games. There was no expectation for him to do anything remotely close to what he did. Hunter Renfro came back and hit 100 average points higher, hit 259 with 31 homers, 96 RBIs, played almost the entire season, and we ended up parlaying that to the Milwaukee Brewers to bring back Jason's favorite, Jackie Bradley Jr., and a couple of prospects. So we replaced 31 home runs with the following. Jackie Bradley Jr., who ended up getting DFA, gone. Alex Verdugo, who really became our, our right fielder, that's he, he spent the most of the time there. And actually, fun fact, did not start and play as many games in right field as Jackie Bradley because we waited so long to get this done. Rob Riffsnyder, Franchi Cordero, Christian Arroyo, who spent a little bit of time out there as well, and that was terrifying. I've never seen a ball player look so terrified about not being able to find a ball in right field. It was mortifying. It was like watching a little leaguer play right field for the very first time. You felt bad. And then you had Jaron Duran there and Jalen Davis. Now, anybody who's watched any baseball over the last two years knows that all those guys that you just listed, and you, excuse me, that you just heard me list, are not going to amount to the same damage as what we had from Hunter Renfro last year. Hunter Renfro, if he did not lead the league in outfield assists, was top three. I I don't think these guys are going to come even remotely close. They didn't hit as many home runs as Renfro did. They definitely didn't have as many outfield assists. And right field was like a black hole. Balls would go out there and we just wouldn't know what to do. And that was a glaring hole on, on leadership based on the fact that we were too complacent and we didn't actually make a proper move. Bringing back Jackie Bradley Jr., no disrespect to Jackie Bradley Jr., JBJ was a fine player. He's done a lot for the, for the city of Boston and helping the team do incredible things in the postseason. Jackie Bradley's not Hunter Renfro. Alex Verdugo wasn't going to have the same pop as Hunter Renfro. If anybody's trying to make a case for that, oh my God, turn on the, turn on the TV, just watch a game. Alex Verdugo is very good at not walking, for the most part, staying healthy. But he's not a banger like Hunter Renfro. So right field remained to be one of the, oh God, situations and, oh geez, positions all season long. It wasn't just so much an outfield thing. I, if I'm not mistaken, the right field blunders that the Red Sox experienced and went through was one of the first issues that I think was broadcast for everybody to see very quickly. It was that in one other department, but I'm not going to mention it because it may come up, so I don't want to foreshadow it or anything. But right field was an absolute bleep show. It just felt like when things couldn't have gotten any worse. Surprise, they can. And it started with right field. So there's no possible way that you could do worse next year in right field unless you do absolutely nothing. So when you're at rock bottom, the only direction to go is up. So that's where I'm really hoping this team can go. Jason. Dumb, dumb, 
dumb trade. Dumb, dumb, dumb. No reason to do it. High and Bloom traded Hunter Renfro, not because he really wanted Jackie Bradley. He wanted that prospect. He wanted Alex Benellis. And for those who haven't been keeping track, Alex Benellis blows. He hasn't been good. So there's another prospect that's not going to amount to anything. So it was a complete waste. Literally, the only reason Jackie Bradley came back in the trade is because Milwaukee just wanted to dump the contract. And they're like, well, if we're going to give you our number 14 prospect, you've got to at least take this stupid contract that we gave out to this hack two years ago and take it off our hands. And Haim stupidly went there and said, okay, yeah, no, sure, we'll do it. And I remember when that trade was made, all the Illuminati, every every single one of them told me, well, you idiots, there's another move coming, obviously. Obviously, Jackie Bradley Jr. is not going to be our starting right fielder. He's just a fourth outfielder. You dummies. Obviously, there's another move coming. You, ju- you guys just can't see it. You can't see the wonderful brilliant vision that high and bloom has did that other move ever happen no it didn't jackie bradley jr played meaningful games for this team this season and he sucked because he's always sucked and my favorite storyline midway through the year as this team was just sinking further and further down in the division was when jackie bradley got eye surgery or something or he got caught, whatever it was, because the Red Sox came out and said, oh, he had astigmatism. That's what it was. That's why he blows. He had astigmatism. Don't worry. We set him up with some fresh contacts now. He's going to be great. And he still sucked after that. I think he had, like, the first game after that, he had, like, two hits, and everyone took their pants off, especially the Illuminati. Oh, see? See? Here comes Jackie. JB, JB Jesus, here he comes. And then I think he went on that like 0 for 26 stretch or whatever it was immediately afterwards. Um, that, that trade is so abysmal. It's not even funny. I mean, it makes, it makes the Travis Shaw for Tyler Thornburg trade actually look pretty decent. Like that's how bad that was. Um, and it completely chopped the legs off your offense because Hunter Renfro went to Milwaukee and had a really good year. Despite, again, what the Illuminati will tell you, because they'll sit there and tell you Hunter Renfro is not that good because, well, the advanced metrics and blah, blah, blah. No, he, he still hits for power and, you know, would have been a huge help for your offense, which at times looked anemic throughout this season. But nope, we had to get rid of him because we had to buy a prospect because that's that's all that matters. Got to got to get that organizational ranking for our prospect system up in the top 10. That's, you know, who cares if the team finishes in last place, right? As long as we have a lot of prospects. Um, yeah, the right field position, and like Charlie mentioned, you know, putting Christian Arroyo out there, which was clearly just a desperate attempt to salvage what was a huge mistake by Bloom in the first place. And that was a disaster. It ended up getting Arroyo hurt again, you know, and, and Arroyo, I think, is a good player. He's a productive player that can help you. And, you know, you put him in a vulnerable spot by moving him all around the field like that. Um, thank God for Rob Ref Snyder. At least you had some representative play there towards the end of the year, you know, and then Tommy Pham later on taking over and left, allowing Verdugo to go to right. But yeah, it was a disaster. It was a complete disaster. And there was no other move after the Bradley trade. 
and you just had a black hole in your corner outfield for pretty much the entire season. And that's just, that's unacceptable for a team that, you know, had such a good year in 2021 and everyone said, Oh, they're going to be just as good, you know, and, and they should, they should contend for the playoffs and go right back there. Nope. Not with a black hole like that in, in your corner outfield spot. So just completely uh, unforgivable mistake by the GM there. Yeah. I mean, Charlie basically hit on it. Um, Renfro, 31 home runs in 2021, 96 ribbies, hit a you know bunch of extra base hits as well. So you take 31 home runs, 96 ribbies. This year we only come up with 12 ribbies. Uh, excuse me, 12 home runs and uh, 65 ribbies. That's that's terrible. And here's the other hilarious thing. We paid Jackie Bradley nine and a half million. Hunter Renfro only got paid seven and a half million. So it was just literally nothing made sense. And when Jason talks about, you know, the Bluminati says, oh, but wait a minute, there's going to be more corresponding moves to make this make sense. Having said that, Bloom's told us with a straight face that Jackie Bradley Jr. was going to be a big part of our outfield. With a straight face, that's what he told us. And and it, it failed miserably. Like, what was Bradley before? Let's see. Now I've got it right in front of me. So before the trade, Bradley was hitting 210 with a 257 on base. So basically one of the worst years of his career. And then he went to, let's see, Toronto and had, yeah, even worse in Toronto, 175 with a 246 on base. So we all thought the Jackie Bradley era was over mercifully. And it came roaring back uh, on probably one of the dumbest trade decisions and, in Red Sox history, it it was predictably bad, and we had to sit there. And then Bloom never addressed it. We got Franchi Cordero in right field at times, and we hear the Bluminati all all the time will tell you how Franchi Cordero has this light tower power, and. We still only got 12 home runs all year out of right field. So hopefully that gets addressed this winter. Um, They're going to have to make a decision on Tommy Pham, who has a $12 million mutual option. I think we can all agree that that's not going to get picked up. (laughs) But, you know, maybe we shouldn't make assumptions after Bradley uh, came back. But just been absolutely terrible and and Renfro is a great clubhouse guy and plays for the Brewers now and I think the Brewers unfortunately for him are going to come up a little short I think the Phillies just need to win one game against Houston and um, that will uh, uh, essentially knock out the Brewers from postseason play but 
could have been way better. All right, let's get into number three on the post-mortem top five. This is going to be Bloom's rotation complacency. Now, we knew as soon as the lockout ended that Chris Sale wasn't going to be back for a while. And we came into the season having Michael Walker because that deal got done before the lockout. He was signed in November. You had Nick Pavetta. I think all of our hopes were higher and he did have a better year in 2022 than he, he did last year. But the bad news is it wasn't that much better. Uh, it was, he was pretty painful to watch and I know I'm missing someone else. Oh yeah. Nathan Avaldi. So I think we all felt pretty good about Avaldi, despite the fact he, he did get hurt, uh, for the better part of the summer. We were pretty anemic and he turns to Rich Hill, 42 years old. James Paxton, who was supposed to come back at some point midseason, never actually did. And even if he did come back, you're talking about a guy who has had a lot of trouble staying on the field. A guy who hadn't pitched in almost three years. He missed, uh, you know, basically, I think in his first start, of 2021 you know left the game with a you know a major injury i can't remember if it was his elbow i think it was his elbow um either his elbow or shoulder but he he had a a big surgery on that and you know 2020 nobody pitched a lot so terrible off-season moves and and here's my big takeaway on this it seemed like there was a hesitancy to go over the luxury tax. Now we did end up doing that with the Trevor story signing. And then we didn't address it at the trade deadline. We could have got below it had they moved a, a guy like Evaldi or whatever, but it seemed like last winter bloom was just wishy-washy about going over the luxury tax. And if you're not going to blow it up at the deadline, if that wasn't the plan, you probably should have made some better investments than than guys who came with a ton of red flags like Paxton did, like like Rich Hill did. And you could have I wanted Kevin Gosman who could have been had for 5 years 110 million. That's a very affordable contract for a guy who's been pitching very well. You could have had essentially Carlos Rodon on a one-year deal. Now, I think he did sign a two-year deal, but he's going to opt out of that. It contained an opt-out. Red Sox probably would have agreed to the opt-out. Could you imagine what this rotation would have been like with Carlos Rodon in it? Unbelievable. And Bloom just wouldn't commit to to going all in with a, with a big payroll this year. And all that money would have come off the books. Anyway, you got JD coming off. You got a Valdi coming off. You got David Price's money coming off. I, I know I'm forgetting at least one more in there um, for a decent amount of money, but 
his whole mindset last winter was fundamentally flawed and we paid the price for it. Yeah. Before the, uh, the season actually began, I remember saying I wanted Carlos Rodon and I wanted and or Kevin Gaussman. And when one signed, I said, okay, there's still a chance to be a GM. There's still a chance to do your job and do the right thing and make this team competitive. The worst thing that could possibly happen, you sign a starter who doesn't do great or does above average, you can still flip him at the deadline. There was plenty of opportunities. Terry, you just mentioned it. Avaldi could have been gone. We did not do enough to address the issues. But if we're going to do it, let's actually do it. Don't go 90%. Say we're going to go 100 soon. And soon never comes. We had plenty of opportunities. We just did not get it done. This season with, with James Paxson, what an absolute joke. What an absolute donation. Complete garbage. I just, that was your idea of a great signing? Are you joking me right now? When we signed James Paxson, I have never been about that signing. He's had six minutes of fame, and that's about it. Every other year since then has involved a major injury or injuries. And it's just, it's, it's, it's inexcusable. We've had, we may actually be lucky to have finished with as many wins as we did, considering there, there were moments where we probably snuck, snuck away with a couple of, of, of wins. This rotation when you have Rich Hill, you're depending on someone who's 43 years old to, to do it. Michael Walker and Nate Evaldi, both with major injury problems. Chris Sale wasn't here. James Paxson still hadn't thrown yet, but was expected to be ready sometime in July, maybe August. Well, that's not happening. And then you have Nick Pavetta, which was, you know, Jekyll and Hyde. You, you get good Pavetta, and then the following month, you get bad Pavetta. And then the following month, you get wishy-washy Pavetta. So... I mean, absolutely. Number three, huge issue. We just, that level of complacency doesn't exist in Boston. It should never have been acceptable. But the only reason why it did was because of 2021. And I will go to the grave saying that if we sucked in 2021, this never would have happened. And you bet your bottom dollar, Rodon or Gaussman would have been pitching for the Red Sox in 2022. Before we get to Jason, I also want to add, we were 23rd uh, ranked with our rotation. So go ahead, Jason. Yeah, so you guys made a lot of great points about the rotation, the way Bloom built it in the offseason. And you just look at it, you have no pitching pipeline. Brian Bayo was not supposed to be up this year. He, he took a major step forward, and thank God at least that he did. And you you now have a bonafide pitching prospect, albeit, you know, at times he looks like he's not ready to be here. At other times he looks like he's settling in. So who knows what's going to happen there. But you went into the season, Chris Sale, injury prone. Nick Pavetta, as Charlie said, you know, perfectly, it's Jekyll and Hyde. You don't know what you're going to get out of that guy any start, you know, on a given day. Um, Nathan Navaldi, injury prone. And you supplemented those guys with, James Paxton, who's injury prone and never saw the field. And I'm sorry, he was supposed to be back in the second half because that's another narrative that's starting to piss me off. 
is people saying, oh, James Paxton was never supposed to pitch this year. That was a contract for next year. Bullcrap. Alex Cora sat there and told you in the months of June and July, oh, yeah, no, we, we expect him back. He's going to get on the mound. He's, he's going to do some, some throwing, and we expect him back. It never happened. So that was a waste of money. 42-year-old Rich Hill, who, look, he, he gave you all that he could, but there's not much left in the tank there. Um, so, and yeah, the, the point of the luxury tax, it's like, did they really think on July 31st that this team was going to turn it around and really go anywhere? They couldn't have possibly thought that we were always sitting here in you know, late June, early July going, yeah, no, it's pretty much over. This, this team looks like they, they don't have it this year. So they should have seen that they should have been more, they should have had more initiative and they should have gotten under the luxury tax when they had the chance. The bigger sin though, is that last year's free agent pitching class was actually pretty good. Like you said, Kevin Galsman, Carlos Rodon, guys like that. This year, you're not going to have that. You might have Rodon again if he opts out, which everyone expects that he will. Aaron Nola has a club option. I imagine Philadelphia will pick that up, so he's not going to be a free agent. DeGrom is going to opt out, but he's going to be 35, and he's going to command insane money. After that, it's guys in their mid to late 30s that do you really trust them to have anything left? Chris Bassett, you know, Kyle Gibson, Corey Kluber. It's not a good free agent class. So you had a chance to add to your rotation last offseason with some really, you know, like you said, Kevin Gaussman would have been great here. We know he can pitch in the AL East. And he's been dominant since going to Toronto. I think Carlos Rodon would have been good here. He kind of missed the boat now. And now you have to fill out your rotation with, frankly, not very good options. So, yeah, they really mismanaged the starting rotation last offseason. And I don't expect it's going to get any better this offseason. I I am very concerned about what Bloom's going to do to supplement the rotation for next year. So one thing about Rodon, and I, I want to touch base on this real quick because I, I really wanted him and or Gaussman. I would have been I would have loved to have seen both join. The Chicago White Sox did not re-sign Carlos Rodon before 2021. 2021, he got paid, and I'm gonna have to look this up because I remember it was a BS deal. It was like two, three million. He got paid three million dollars. Dollars, a prove it deal, a let's see what you can bring to the table deal. And then he parlays that into a two year, I think $42 million deal with an, uh, an opt out after the first year. He goes 13 and five last year in the American League with 185 strikeouts and 132 innings. This year, he goes 14 and eight with a 288 ERA, almost 180 innings, and he has 237 strikeouts. He leads the league in strikeout per nine. This man is absolutely going to get paid. If the Red Sox had given him five for 110, I think he would have taken that because that's guaranteed money. And we botched this so badly. Even a four for 88 or four for 86, there was still a deal to be had, a deal to be made. And that's not the first miss on Rodon. That's the second time we've missed we could have had him for nothing in 21. We could have had him for almost nothing in 22. Before 2021, maybe the Red Sox go out and give him four years, 60 million. That would have been awesome. 
27 wins for 30 million? Oh my God. Imagine that. That's what we're giving Chris Sale for one year, 30 million almost. So huge misses, huge misses. Another guy, I, I think at least two of us would have hated this, and half of Red Sox Nation would have got blocked on the day he signed because that's what he does on Twitter. But Marcus Stroman uh, signed a three-year deal, and he was hurt for part of the season, but uh, for comparison, he did make two more starts than Michael Walker did. So um, – I would have hated that. It would have been the next coming of David Price, but it's another example of a guy out there that could have uh, could have helped out. Go yeah, I just want to add one more thing. Um, I I was against this for so many reasons, and I didn't like him in Toronto. I didn't like him in New York. I just I never liked him. I've never liked him. This guy would get pumped up like he just struck out the side on nine pitches in an immaculate inning when he struck out anybody at Fenway Park. It just it felt so dishonest, so disingenuous. And I don't want that kind of character, like that kind of bum playing in Boston. Like you can take that garbage elsewhere. Go to a team that doesn't matter and you'll you'll fit in perfectly. But Boston is not going to be the place for you. Toodaloo. How priceless though would it have been for Dennis Eckersley to just light him up? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah. Start. <laughs> it would have been start after start. You'd have been hearing, oh man, what a horrible pitch. Yuck. How many times could he have said yuck in one night? 30? Yeah. It would have been would have been epic. But yeah. So um and finally, just to wrap this up, I'll uh well, you know what? I'll I'll save this part for later, actually, because it'll it'll just be better if I do. So uh, let's move up to number two on the post-mortem top five. Charlie, that's yours. Who or what is it? Oh, this is a, a who and what. Uh, this is our first baseman issue. So earlier we were talking about right field, and I'm just going to hammer this one home because why not talk about first base, a position that got a lot of flack from me last year and high in bloom his infinite wisdom, decide to replace Bobby Dahlbeck and Franchi Cordero and Kyle Schwarber and Travis Shaw with, you guessed it, Bobby Dahlbeck, Franchi Cordero, Travis Shaw, and a bunch of other people that really were not going to be the answer. Tristan Costas came up with the last six minutes left of the season, and he manages to get a home run as his hit almost every time that he gets a hit. I remember seeing Franchi Cordero at first base and saying, we've already given up. We've already thrown in the towel. Franchi Cordero is not a first baseman. Franchi Cordero is not a major leaguer. And when I see Franchi Cordero at first base, it reminds me of the moment that Terry and I went to go see the Red Sox and Yankees play at Fenway Park when Nate Evaldi was facing off against Garrett Cole and a ball went straight up about 30 feet in front of first base and came right back down. Kyle Schwarber didn't catch it. And then Franchi Cordero did almost the exact same thing. It was a classic case of who could have done it better. But we never took first base seriously. There were so many balls that were either not caught, not played well, not saved, 
And it wasn't just defense that was an issue. It was offense. We were anemic. We didn't look like we cared. It was lethargic play. Bobby Dahlbeck was swinging at balls that would hit the ground and come back up. Bobby Dahlbeck did worse this year. He regressed. He's not the answer. Maybe this is another player that needs an experience somewhere outside of Boston. His numbers almost were half, almost half. He didn't even hit halfway markers for this year in relation to last year. He barely hit 200. In 133 games last year, he had 25-78 split. He hit 240. This year in 115 games, 12 homers, 39 RBIs, 208 batting average. Garbage. So after tonight, he finally hit the almost halfway mark of what he did last year for damage. It took him the whole season. He just could not get it done. It was sad. But then what did we do? We brought in Eric Hosmer for $0. And then Eric Hosmer got injured. And albeit a huge defensive replacement over Bobby Dahlbeck or anybody else you want to stick at first base. I'm not even going to include Frenchie Cordero on that short list because he was never supposed to be at first base. Garbage decision. Awful move. And now he's gone too. So over this offseason, we need to consider, okay, is Tristan Costas going to be our first baseman or do we need a stopgap? Maybe we could bring in a guy with some leadership. And Anthony Rizzo, he has an opt-out. Wouldn't it be nice to see Anthony Rizzo finish his career where it should have started? Because some people may have forgotten Anthony Rizzo was a Red Sox when all this began. And then he got traded away. I think it'd be awesome to see an Anthony Rizzo or a Josh Bell come to Boston for a year. And maybe Anthony Rizzo accepts a part-time role and he becomes the next um, Mitch Moreland where he, he can spell Tristan Costas at first base or at least get first base warm for Costas next year. I would be okay with that. Because that's yet another position that the Red Sox need to take seriously. So, Heim Bloom, sir, we're looking at you. Jason. Yeah, the Bobby Dahlbeck decision. I can't believe still to this day that this organization bought into what he did in August and September of last year. Where, let's face it, he went on a home run spree. And he increased his... Uh, value. He increased his perception amongst, you know, what the front office thought of him. He was hitting home runs off of four A pitchers, off of teams that were playing out the string, much like the Red Sox are right now. Do people not remember the first half of 2021 when Bobby Dahlbeck sucked and he looked just like he did this year? He's not a good player. He's a four A player, bench guy at best, but. That's it. And for the Red Sox to just do nothing at the first base position is stunning to me. They, they lost out on Rizzo. Like they had no shot. You know, they should have traded for him, you know, when they had the chance. But they lost out on that. And then Rizzo got so comfortable with the Yankees, he just signed right back there. So they had no shot with him. But why not? You know, why couldn't they have signed, you know, someone like a Daniel Vogelbach? who was out there, who this year has had 17 homers between a couple of teams and at least takes walks and gets on base. I mean, why not something like that? I don't necessarily blame them 
for not wanting to rush Tristan Casas up to the majors because we've seen it. Casas has kind of struggled since coming up and he had a little bit of an up and down year, but to just not even try to make a trade or something. So you're willing to trade away Hunter Renfro and, and trade, you know, for your corner outfield position, but you won't make a trade at first base because you implicitly trust that Bobby Dahlbeck is going to hit 25 to 30 home runs and hit 250 and get on base. No shot. The guy looks helpless at the plate. Every at bat this year has been like a three pitch strikeout. It's, it's not even competitive. So just a, a huge, huge whiff. And first base is such an easy position to get right because it, it's just there's so many valuable first basemen out there. They could have traded for guys. They could have, I don't know, traded for a Matt Cooper or something like that before the season started, and they just didn't. They just sat on their hands, and they're like, nope, we've got Bobby Dahlbeck, and he's going to, you know, He's going to provide the, honestly, they probably thought Bobby Dahlbeck would provide all the power that they let go of with Hunter Renfro and the exact opposite happened. He went backwards. So as far as what they do going forward, you've got Hosmer, you've got him dirt cheap. I mean that, you know, San Diego's basically paying the rest of his salary. You're barely paying him anything. Um, you know, Casas is here. I want him getting regular at bats. But the guy I want, if, if they're going to get a free agent, if they're not sold on, you know, a Hosmer-Costas tandem, which, you know, I wouldn't blame them if they're not, the guy I want them to get is Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is going to be a free agent. I know he's a little bit older, 36, but he can still play. And this team needs right-handed bats. They need more right-handed bats in that lineup. And Jose Abreu at his age, you know, he's not going to ask for a four- or five-year deal. Bring him here on one or two year deal and you know have him and Costas be your first base platoon, something like that. Or if you let JD walk, then maybe you bring in Abreu to be a DH and you know you you play around with that a little bit. But I'd love to see a guy like Jose Abreu get signed here. I think he'd be a perfect bat for this lineup. But they have to do something because as much again, I want Costas getting regular at bats next year. I think that's the only way he's gonna develop. But I would like a little bit of a better insurance policy than Eric Hosmer as well. I'm not sold that Hosmer is definitely going to be here next year because I think he's got enough trade value left, especially where it's going to cost the next team nothing as well to address a need. Maybe you get a decent bullpen arm, uh, you know, back in, in a trade for Hosmer. Um, if you want a little bit of encouragement here uh, on Tristan Casas, in the last week, which is 23 at-bats, he's hitting 391 with a 517 on base. And only one of those nine hits was a home run. So he's starting to hit something other than home runs finally. If you want to go back to two weeks uh, in 15 games, so that would be 43 at-bats, he's hitting 279 with still a very robust 436 on base. So cautiously optimistic for me as far as next year with, with Casas. And I just have the utmost confidence that he will figure it out at some point, even if it's a rough April or May. Bobby Dahlbeck was never going to figure it out. And the reason he's never going to figure it out is because he's not a he's not a major leaguer. There's nothing about Bobby Dahlbeck 
that screams uh, major leaguer. Another thing, Jason, you mentioned Jose Abreu, also a good DH candidate. I know we're not talking about that position, but um, but there's some versatility there as well. If if you want him to uh, play first base, he could certainly do that. We need everything <laughs> this winter. We need everything. We need an outfielder. We need an infielder. Uh, at, uh, maybe at first base. Um, maybe at shortstop. Who knows? We'll see how that plays out. Um, you need arms in the pen. You need one or two arms in the rotation or three. Um, so it's just, I don't know how Bloom does it and stays under the luxury tax. You know, talking to Andrew in the war room, he, he seems to think Bloom's going to stay under it. I'm not sold. I think the pressure is too immense. You can't miss the playoffs four out of five years, which would be the case if we miss them next year. But, but first base, I just looking back on it, when, when was there a time that we were that bad? I, d- I don't remember it. You had, let's see, last year it was mostly Dahlbeck, wasn't it? And then go back to, we'll skip 2020. 2019, you had Moreland and Pierce. 2018, basically Moreland and Pierce again. 2017, who was it? Moreland and someone. But... The the one theme here is um, Mitch Moreland in the past few years. What if instead of Jackie Bradley, we had a Mitch Moreland reunion? How would that have played? <laughs> His 2021 wasn't great, but um, certainly there would have been some confidence there. There was none with Bradley. But we've never sucked at first base. You know, 2013, you had Mike Napoli. Uh, 2007, who did we have? Was it Euclid at first? I think it was for most of that year. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was Euclid. And then, of course, 2004, you had Kevin Millar. So um, it's, it's, an easy, it's an easy solution. You could have had a guy like Jonathan VR for one year as well if you wanted to go that route. But... That was painful. Let me, <laughs> was- uh, let, let me ask you this. Who was worse as a first baseman, Bobby Dahlbeck or Hanley Ramirez? <laughs> Bobby Dahlbeck. <laughs> yeah, Dahlbeck all day. Hanley was not bad at all. Um, just kind of a goofy guy to have in the clubhouse. There was, there was that. Remember, you guys probably don't remember. He, he, he fell down some stairs was the story that Hanley did and he tweaked his wrist. So he had to go have tests done on it. But curiously, Mookie Betts wasn't able to play for four or five games because uh, something with his, uh, I don't think it was an oblique, but it was upper body. And I just thought that was interesting. Like the people were talking about, they didn't believe Hanley fell down any steps. I was the only one screaming about the coincidence with Mookie, but but anyway, uh, Hanley was uh, an interesting case. But we DFA'd him in the month of May that year, and then we win the World Series. So, um, took a, a month for uh, Pierce to get here, but man, that was uh, what a 
what a spark plug he was uh, whenever we played the Yankees and then all throughout the postseason. All right, so finally, what's number one? It should be pretty obvious at this point, but just in case, Jason, go ahead and tell us who it is. Yeah, number one on the season-long shit list, like you said, pretty obvious, but uh, is the Red Sox bullpen, which was just a steaming pile of you-know-what pretty much all year, an absolute train wreck. Um and really, again, it's this goes to your GM. This was your bullpen on opening day this year. Matt Barnes, Garrett Whitlock, okay, you know, good start there. Ryan Brazier, Cutter Crawford, Hansel Robles, who you some for some reason brought back on a minor league deal late in spring training. Sawamora, and then your two free agents, Jake Diekman, Matt Strom. Austin Davis, Phillips Valdez. That was your bullpen on opening day this year. Does that scream playoffs to you? Does that scream we're going back to the ALCS and we're going to make a run at a World Series this year? Because it doesn't to me. And look, the Red Sox were very lucky with Garrett Whitlock that the, you know, the Yankees didn't protect him in the Rule 5. Bloom did the right thing. He took him. He's been great out of the bullpen, but then they screwed it up because Tanner Houck had to miss one start in Toronto because of the stupid vaccination crap. And they suddenly decide, let's take our best bullpen arm and put him in the starting rotation. That, that decision still is top five, one of the worst decisions they've made this season because your bullpen fell apart after that. And it never, it never recovered. Garrett Whitlock was never the same after that. You eventually turned Tanner Houck into a closer. He was pretty serviceable as a closer. I don't want to say that he was great because he really scuffled at times. And then eventually he got hurt. Um, and your bullpen just all year, it was just Matt Barnes. They had to hide for like three months. They just hit him down in Fort Myers because he was so awful and so bad that they're like, oh, yeah, he's injured. He's got a back injury. Uh, he'll be back at some point. They had to hide him because they basically sent him down there and went, please get your velocity back because if you don't, you're useless, and we have to justify that stupid contract extension that we gave you. He eventually did come back, and you know he is what he is. But Ryan Brazier, we've talked about this guy a lot. Like He's like the cockroach of this team. How is he still here? Like Ryan Brazier, I'm convinced, could survive like a nuclear winter at this point because he just never goes away. Um, Salamora, you know, I liked him for a time, but you could just tell his home road splits were insane. Like the fact that he was so bad at home and just all of that was a disaster. Deakman was a disaster. At least they were able to salvage that by trading him for Reese McGuire. That's worked out pretty well for the Red Sox. Matt Strom was good to start the year. He's really you know, he's gone backwards uh, in this second half. And maybe it's because they're playing out the string and he just kind of doesn't care anymore. And he's already thinking about his future of wanting to be a starter or whatever it is he's going to do this off season. But, and then Austin Davis, useless. Phillips Valdez, pretty much useless. Hansel Robles, disaster artist. 
Um, you know, they tried to salvage at one point, bringing in Juris Familia. How did that work out? That was great. It's just the bullpen was a clown show all season long, and it cost the Red Sox so many games. If they just had, and I here's the thing, I'm not one of those that wants them to, like I disagree with Tony Maz, who has been saying for a week now that he wants the Red Sox to sign Edwin Diaz this winter. And he said, hey, if it's, you know, if it takes four years, 80 million, go get him. I, I disagree. I don't want that. I'm not a big, you know, pay the premium closer $20 million a year kind of guy. But if they just had a solid seven, eight, nine, not even like, you know, all worldly or Hall of Fame level, just a solid seven, eight, nine, they might be over 500 this year. They just never had it. They never had it at any point this season. And why your GM thought that that bullpen going into this year was going to be good enough. I, I, I still, I've yet to figure it out because it was never going to be good enough. And he deserves a ton of criticism for that because your bullpen definitely cost you this season. I think this is another standard case of, I agree with Jason about 90% of the time. And that's that loan 10% is because I, I, I don't think we're blaming them enough. I think that the fact that you had only one reliever with a sub three ERA that was even remotely close to being relevant makes this bullpen unacceptable. I think the fact that I'm going to have to be eating crow for a very long time about my opinion about Darwin's and Hernandez being elite about how I wanted him to be our closer and how he responded by having a 21 ERA this season. Darwin's and Hernandez might be one of the most interestingly sad and pathetic stories we have. In 2020, this guy was interesting. We were intrigued. The following year, even more so. Okay, cool. He's just got to bring those walk numbers down. We knew they were an issue, but if he can get those down, he could be really good. And then in 2022, he pitches 34 less innings and allows more earned runs. I don't have any words. What do you say to that? What do you say to the rest of the team when Matt Barnes can't figure it out? He's hurt. You're relying on Matt Strom, Diekman, Salamora to start the season. It just, it's like you're, you're taking a bunch of pieces from a bunch of other toys and trying to make something of it. It doesn't really work. You need directions. There needs to be some order. It's like trying to build Legos with colors in the dark. It doesn't work. It's impossible. The, the lights are on, but nobody's home. That's kind of what it feels like. There was nothing remotely close that made any of us feel warm and fuzzy the entire year from start to finish. You know, we had a couple of folks saying, Schreiber should be our closer, you know? We, we had at least one host saying that. Uh, I, I still wasn't buying it because he'd only had a cup of coffee for about five minutes in Boston. And I wasn't about to, I wasn't about to say, yeah, let's do that. Let, let's go that way. And slowly but surely, you saw an ERA go from zero to 0.4 to 0.9 to 1.4 to 1.7 to 2 to 2.5. And then it started coming back down again. 
But outside of that, and outside of Garrett Whitlock, which that entire process was butchered. I mean, completely just, just stupid, stupid, stupid. Garrett Whitlock does not belong in the rotation. He was perfectly, he was perfect where he was. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's, that's really a lesson that people should be learning if they haven't been paying attention right now. Why mess with it? He's injured for the season. Done. Tanner Houck, done. And that's just a start. Forget about the people that we traded, released, sent back to the minors. This was a, a, a Franken team. There was no order. There was nobody that would look at this team and say, nice. It was more like a, uh, it, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't fun. And believe me, the, the people that paid the most for it were the fans. The fans had to pay for this. And we had to pay for it again. And believe me, the bullpen, your first base situation, your right field situation, this isn't something that we just realized in September. We've been talking about this since April. We've been talking about it again since May. And we were the ones that were drop dead honest. Things aren't looking good. We need to make some changes. And the wrong changes got made, if at all. Obviously, you know, Jason kind of touched on it. With a better bullpen, you're over 500 and perhaps, you know, flirting more with a wild card spot. Without rehashing too much of what you guys said, here's the last three years uh, where the bullpen is ranked. 2022, uh, we have the... Uh, 20 oh sorry wrong page now you're gonna hear a ripping sound here um i was looking at the rotation uh 2022 26th ranked bullpen 2021 you're actually you were 13th but for a team that went to the alcs you would think your bullpen would be a little bit better than that 2020 you're the 27th ranked bullpen so again, 26th in 2022, 13th in 2021, 27th in 2020. Let's look at the rotation here real quick. Same three years. 2022, you're the 23rd ranked rotation. 2021, the 17th ranked rotation. 2020, you are the 25th ranked rotation. Now real quick. Going back to 2020, I know I'm rehashing. 2020, you're um, 25th in the rotation, 27th in the bullpen. 2022, you're 23rd in the rotation, 26th in the bullpen. This was 2020 all over again as far as our pitching goes. We were as bad in 2022 as you were in 2020. As horrific of a year that was. So... Dave Bush at a minimum. I mean, it just didn't work out. And if they go into 2023 thinking Bush is going to figure it out this year, regardless of who they sign, that's that's crazy. I already think we, we needed a new voice in the clubhouse as far as manager goes. I really would have made a move there. Um, 
I would definitely make a move here as far as the pitching coach goes. It's just bad. We are just a fundamentally bad organization at every level, minor league, major league with pitching. And this is a guy who came from Tampa, one of the biggest pitching factories in Major League Baseball. And by this guy, I'm talking about Hein Bloom. So, geez, I don't... As far as the the lineup went, you know, we we had a lot of guys in the top 10 as far as hitting doubles and, and scoring runs and all that. So that's how we're lucky to have 75 wins at the moment. I'm boldly going to say we'll win one against Tampa and end at 76, but terrible, terrible, terrible year as far as pitching goes. Yeah, and you can't you can't win without pitching. You, you just can't. It, you can't out slug everybody, you know, 16 to 14. Like, it, it, that's not the way it works. Um, the Red Sox need to find a way to become one of these, like you called it, pitching factories. You know, Cleveland, um, Tampa, Atlanta, teams like that, they pump out pitching all the time. And we talk about it a lot here on the show. Who's the last pitcher the Red Sox really developed on their own? It's been forever. Hopefully, Brian Bayo is that guy now. But after him, what do you got? I mean, your, your top-ranked pitcher is a 25-year-old. Like, it's, you know, who who knows if he's going to work out after that. So they they need to fix their pitching program big time because it's um, they're not going to be able to keep up with the rest of the league if they don't. Also, Houston, I mean, not only do they pump out great pitchers, they have a tendency to fix starting pitching. I mean, Verlander took a, a big step forward when he went there. Zach Grinke was was pretty solid throughout his tenure. I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Wade Miley go there for a season and pitch pretty well? Yeah, he did. Yep. So, I mean, they, you know, they... They develop guys and they fix guys. Uh, Tampa, I don't know if you want to say they fixed Kluber, I guess. I mean, he's pitched somewhat effectively this year. He's to the point where he gives them a chance to win. Um, I'm sure there's one or two other cases recently. Um, it's just the Brewers are another pitching factory as well. Uh, you know, they they always have one of the better better pitching staff. They just historically can't hit. And you got Brett Anderson with um, the Dodgers who, who has pitched well. This is just a terrible organization uh, when it comes to pitching in the last few years. So, yeah. So I guess that will about do it for the post-mortem episode I don't think we're going to have another episode that rivals the negativity of this one and, and perhaps some of the, um, you know, September and late August shows. Uh, at this point, all eyes are going to be forward to see what they do, who they sign, if they fire a pitching coach. <laughs> um, so that's what we'll look forward to. But I am looking forward to an epic uh, October. I mean, you, 
You could have Mets, Dodgers, even Braves, Dodgers is good. I don't know if there could be a Mets, Braves in there if if the uh, seating will shake out that way uh, in terms of a NLCS. And then on the um, American League side, you could very well have an Astros-Yankees rematch uh, or perhaps maybe maybe the Mariners you know, can go on that magic run and, you know, scoot into the World Series. So there's going to be no shortage of uh, huge stories and, and epic matchups for the month of October. So I'm certainly looking forward to that. Yeah, I think um, a lot of Red Sox fans are going to get team envy uh, when the playoffs start and they you know start seeing teams like the Braves and even the Mariners, uh, you know, all these other teams that just with their top prospects and, you know, really good rosters, just you know, guys like Michael Harris and hopefully Julio Rodriguez. I know he's hurt right now, but hopefully he gets back for the playoffs because he's an exciting player. But, yeah, Red Sox fans are going to get very envious watching these other teams. So, uh, But it's, it's going to be fun. I agree. I think we're in for a really good postseason. Rodriguez actually getting activated uh, on Monday, so – Oh, perfect. Should be in the clear there. Charlie, final thoughts? It's just one of those things where, like, rehashing and re-listening to everything, it's really unfortunate because this isn't news. Like I mentioned a couple moments ago, we've been talking about this, complaining about this, harping on this, highlighting this for five months. April, May, June, July, August, and September, six-month Nothing's changed. We've had moments of greatness and then moments, uh, large doses of reality where you may win eight, nine games in a row and then you proceed to go six and 20 and then another three and 11 after that. So nine and 31, nine and 30, not a real fun 40 game stretch. So we have some work to do. That's the, that's the big thing. I'm, I'm just thankful that it's over. Yeah, it, it, I I said on Twitter, and I, I think we talked about it in the last, uh, within the last few shows, as far as being podcasters, this is painful. Like, I understand why Kansas City doesn't have a, a huge podcast that, you know, is is highly followed. What's the point? What's the point in getting excited? And we're spoiled. We're spoiled to have these high expectations, which in a lot of years do get met. But it's been a brutal season to be a podcaster, to try to come on here for the last six weeks and turn chicken shit into chicken salad. That's just, it's been brutal. Um, So I guess on that note, we will wrap a little bit longer show. We will be back again on Thursday night to preview the wild card matchups could be a fun show. So uh, everyone have a great start to your work week. Take care.